It's Racing with RK, episode number 14. This podcast is brought to you by, brought to you in part by the Buckeye Karting Challenge, Ohio's karting championship. The next sun, this next event is Sunday, October 25th at G&J Cartway in Camden, Ohio, with practice on Saturday, October 24th. For those of you that have not raced in the series, Use promo code RACINGWITHRK and receive a $5 discount from your entry fee. This podcast is also brought to you in part by Lori Beal Photography, your expert in motorsports photography. Her passion is sports, specifically motorsports, but also enjoys travel, concert, and night photography. Check Lori's website, lauribealphotography.com. That's L-O-R-I-B-I-E-H-L photography.com and use promo code Racing with RK and receive a 10% discount on orders for first time customers. Well, my guest tonight is Terry Trader. Uh, Terry is uh, a Hall of Famer, and I should certainly introduce him as that because he's done a lot in karting, him and his family. But karting Hall of Famer Terry Trader is our guest on the show today. Terry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Randy. It's so uh, such an honor to be on this program, and you're doing such a beautiful job of spreading the word of karting, and uh, I just love it, and I, I appreciate b- being on here with you. You bet, Terry. Uh, let's uh, let's dig in. Let's start with the beginning. Uh, share with the listeners how you were introduced to karting. Okay. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It, it has, Randy, and uh, and not trying to be funny, but it was a very, very long time ago. You know, I started when my dad was a, uh, he was a general manager of a Montgomery Ward farm store. And some guy came along and brought a go-kart there and for him to look at. And he thought that would be kind of something that would be neat to sell. And he, so they uh, literally took the cart out of the guy's truck. That was the sales guy that was coming around and they drove it up and down Main Street in Quincy. And Main Street was the big shopping district, whatever, whatever. And, uh, of course, no helmets, no nothing. And so uh, Gus started selling through Montgomery Wars, and then he brought one home for me. And I was six and a half years old, so I just started driving around the neighborhood. And that would have been uh, 1957, 8 period. And then a fellow built a go-kart track out in a small town about uh, – 20 miles uh, east of Quincy in Payson, Illinois, and it was built on the site of a of a bar. The name of the bar was the Haunted Haunted Tavern. So, uh, yeah, and so they built this go kart track, and uh, I don't remember much about it. I remember racing there. You know, I can't remember my first win to be honest with you, but uh, you know, we just started going around, and uh, you know that. Gus got into some sort of argument with the guy that was the race director there uh, in 1960. The guy banned him from the track for like 30 days for like coming out too early for practice or whatever. And so Gus decided, I'm going to build a karting track of my own. Now, you got to understand, Gus is 35 years old. My mother's 29. You know, they're, they're really young people and they don't have a lot of money. So, I mean, Gus was a really one of the great salesmen of all, of all time and promoters. But. He didn't, you know, he came, he was a farm boy from Wisconsin that came down to Quincy, Illinois. And uh, so he decided to build this track and he ended up finding a great piece of land in the, just west of uh, Quincy, Illinois. And it, they call it West Quincy, Missouri. It's just five minutes from uh, Quincy. And uh, 
built this track and we had a grand opening July 16th, 1961. And uh, I did get to run the first laps on this new track. And I won the first race as a, as a junior driver. So I was nine years old. So that's probably what I remember as my first win, but I, I might've won something before, but I can't remember it, you know? And so sure. uh, it was, uh, you know, the, the day that they opened was an uh, amazing day. Gus built at that time, a state of the art track. It was, you know, 0.45 miles. It was a, you know, most of the tracks in that day were snaky, uh, no, no way to pass, you know, follow the leader type thing. Right, and he wanted right. a place. Yeah. He wanted a place where he could, where people could pass and race and, and that, that kind of thing. And so, so that's what ended up in how TNT, <clears throat> TNT was built. So that would have been my first win that I remember. And, uh, so, um, I still, you know, Randy, you, you won a bunch of trophies in your life cause you did really well. And, uh, but, uh, of all the trophies, hey, Terry, you got, Terry, could you say that again a little louder? Sure. I said, I said, you know, Randy, I said, you ran a lot of races and you won a lot of races and you won a lot of trophies. And how many of those trophies have you really kept? I mean, I don't know how many I've won, but I've won a bunch in, in, you know, over a thousand probably, but I've got probably 15 left that I, that I kept, you know, and ironically, I've still got this trophy from July 16th, 1961, and they've got to be better than what they're built today because it's still all tight and together. And if you've noticed, if you had (laughs) trophies sitting on the shelf, there's some sort of like earth harmonics or something that unscrews it and they all fall apart. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, uh, so, you know, I've got the, uh, the famous, uh, you know, Duffy trophies that, from racing and I've got, but I've got this one that I won in, you know, 59 years ago, you know, it's, it's, and it's still in in pretty darn good shape. So, and I can't believe, I can't believe I kept it, but, uh, so that was probably my first win that I remember. And, uh, you know, Gus of course had a, a big, big grand opening, had a parade through the city when he opened his track and had the, the mayor there and had Miss Quincy there and had all the, yeah, sure. He had all the service club people there and uh, kind of a funny thing he did that day. He had, he had bought rental cars to help pay for the track. As you know, when you owned your track, I don't know if you had rental track. We rental, did. Rental cars. We did. Yep. Okay. And uh, you know, they're a pain, but they also make money for you. So yep. uh, he had a race amongst all these service clubs uh, members, one, you know, one from each one of them. And they were going to race for a chicken dinner. So when the guy came around that won the race, they had a big presentation on the start finish line. Gus brought out a live chicken and gave it to the guy. I said, here's your nice. chicken dinner. Nice. Yeah. So we- nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's Gus. Hey, I, I, wanted to re- I wanted to rewind here for a second to clarify to the listeners. I, I wasn't, uh, when I said, ask Terry if he could repeat what he said and say it a little louder. It wasn't because I didn't hear him. It's because... Oh. There's not that many people around today, Terry, number one, that realized that I did race. And to tell you the truth, I had a stretch run where I was pretty good. So I just I just like hearing you say it, Terry. That's the only reason I have to oh, repeat it. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you couldn't hear. No. No, no I heard you fine. I just wanted to hear it again. <laughs> and you you know, you raced you raced at all the big races. I remember oh, yeah. the, the Kugler the Kugler name on the back of your jacket. Your only problem was is your height. You were so darn tall. 
right. but you stuck up in stuck up in the air. I yep. mean, and and you know, you were you created a, a lot of wind drag on your uh, car. I was not like I was not aerodynamic, and and no. you're very you're very kind, Terry. But the only time you saw the back of the name on the back of my jacket is when you were laughing me. Let's be honest. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's. Randy. let's yeah. <laughs> So, but I got it, Terry, I have to tell you something, and, and this is, I'm going to try not to get emotional, but I can't believe you told me that story about Gus and how, and what was the motivation behind Quincy. So let me tell you, you know, the, the building of TNT Cartway, let me tell you a little story. Back in the late 50s, and this is bizarre because, you know, your dad and I kind of became great friends, even though your dad was IKF, I, my dad was WK, but this, this is amazing that you told that story. Late in the late 50s, my brother was racing something back in Ohio they called track rabbits, which were go-karts. And he was racing them on dirt. So my dad got wind of it and he said, hey, listen, if you're going to be doing this, I'm going to make sure you're doing it right. I'm going to go with you. So they start racing this little dirt track road course in our town of Janaton Hutton, Ohio, central Ohio. And they go a couple of years. And of course, you know, my dad, he gets involved. He's helping the, the, the guy that's been running the track and this and that and and they and my dad had another driver that was racing and he was a friend of my brother's but the guy his the guy that ran the track kind of wanted that driver and and my dad wouldn't let him go long story short they get into a big argument at the track and the argument gets pretty heated and this guy says to my dad Kugler if you know so much go build your own bag on track and my dad said, all right, I will. And sure enough, Terry, in within two years of, the, of the, that little altercation, Linden Valley Raceway was built, completed, up and running, and had its first race. And the dirt track closed. So I cannot I, believe how, 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 the, how similar that is to your story about your dad, because that is exactly how Cougar Raceway became Cougar Raceway. Well, you know, we could talk about the fact of your dad and my dad being the the guys that were so such a we're maybe jumping ahead of your itinerary here a little bit, okay? But you know, your dad and my dad were businessmen, okay, and yes. they they understood how to make a profit, and they didn't feel guilty about making a profit, you right. know, right. but they knew the thing had to, to live, it had to make money, okay? Right. Exactly. And so. Uh, so, you know, they uh, they would see that, you know, how to treat people and and they were strong. And when they made a decision, you know, you didn't have to worry about, you know, checking with a committee like that. They made the decision whether you liked it or not. That was their decision. And, right. and you knew that was that was the game. And I think that there's a lot to be said for a guy that's strong. You see the same thing with Bernie Ecclestone in Formula One, same type of guy, you know, mm -hmm. he yeah. ran, he ran it, made the decisions. Okay. We don't like what he made decided, but that's the rule. So, uh, yep. you know, pretty, exactly. uh, pretty neat that your dad and my dad were similar guys like that, you know? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Well, let's, um, like you said, we don't want to jump ahead. We want to cover everybody. And there's one person that I want to hear about because I know him, I don't know him well, but I know him. And I can tell you, you listeners out there, number one, Terry Trader's a stud. This guy, when he raced, if he was on track, he was one of the guys you had to beat. I don't care where you were, what race it was. He was that good. He was smooth. He was consistent. He was fast. 
but there was a common denominator with Terry's race team throughout. And that the not common denominator was a man by the name of Stan Long. And Stan Long was your tuner, your, your mechanic, your mentor, everything, Terry. Let's, let's hear about Stan Long, how, how you got together with Stan and the impact and the influence he had on, on, on your successful racing career. All right. Well, Stanley was a, uh, you know, he was a karting driver, karting racer, and he, ironically, was at opening day in July 16, 1961 as well. Of course, he's a, a really young man at that time, just got out of the service, and uh, he was fast and everything. But my dad was just, and mom, my dad and mother, my mother was a key portion of this whole thing as well, Fern, uh, and they started their business and they started selling uh, Harley Davidson, Honda, and Yamaha motorcycles. And uh, Stanley was actually the first empl- full-time employee that, that uh, Gus ever hired, 1965. And uh, he he worked for us until 2012 for 47 years. And that you don't find wow. that very often. Wow! It's a, a super dedicated, uh, super unbelievable guy. And you know, regardless if he was an employer or not, we were more like brothers that we were like uh, employees, you know, uh, this is the son of the owner type guy, you know, and he gave me, he gave me hell. Like you can't believe, you know what I mean? And he was never afraid to say his word. One thing about Stanley, he never held back. He'd tell you the truth, you know? Yeah. And, and that was, that was a beauty of it. And he was a, a master technician uh, and his work for TNT was amazing, but you know, his work on my cart engines was more than amazing. You know, he was known and respected, as one of the top engine builders in the United States. Yeah. And uh, I always said, Stan and I always had a great team. He built fast motors. I drove pretty well. And Gus and Ferd paid all the bills. And that there worked out really well. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, we, we always felt like we wanted to race at the highest level. And we never dodged anybody. We wanted to race against the best people. And at the time, we're uh, California boys, right? I mean, you, you right. and I both know, being from this area. You know, they got to race all the time and yep, all that kind yep, of stuff. Yep. And so so we would try to go to any big race we possibly could. And uh, when you won, you you felt like you'd really done something. So right, and exactly. we did. We we went east to west coast and ran everything we could and had great success. And uh, it's uh, it was a, a great relationship. We're still good buds today. And, you know, his wife was just as important to our company and our family as he was, too. Marilyn was a unbelievable scorer and you know ran all the registration for gus's races and you know i don't know how these folks and you probably had a gal or a guy too that would score these carts when we had national races think about 30 carts coming down the straightaway <laughs> for a green flag no electronic scoring no how nope. in the how the, how did they how did they keep it straight i don't know I, how I they did know, it you they know did. it was amazing it, yeah. they, but they did yeah so i i was at a I was at a race the other day. We have a series here in Ohio called the Buckeye Carding Challenge. And uh, the fellow running the computer, had, and something happened and he didn't get the class switched over properly or whatever. And um, I said, without thinking, I said, don't worry, I got this. And I had, I had never hand scored a lot, but I, hand, but I did a little bit. I said, don't worry, Kevin, I got this pull out a piece of paper and there was like 10 in the class, but they're still close together and they come by and I'm trying to write them down. And I looked down at the paper. I couldn't read one number. I don't know what the heck I wrote. 
<laughs> I said, Kevin, you got that computer fixed, right? He goes, yeah, it's good. I said, okay, good. You're, you're good. Go ahead. It's all yours. <laughs> so get to, to what you said, it was amazing. And, and for those that never experienced hand scoring, at the end of the race, they would hand these sheets off to someone. They would basically compare notes of the three, three people scoring or two people, whatever it was, and then find a common thread there where everything set up. And, and Terry, I'm sure you'll agree, more times than not, I mean, most of the time, you would post the results, they go, yep, that looks about right. Okay, I'm starting 10th at the next race or whatever. So it was, it was amazing. Speaking of back yeah, in the day, speaking of back in the day, Terry, share with us a couple fond memories of TNT racing there, whether it was just a local race, whether it was one of the big PKA events, whether it was a national, just share a couple fond memories you have of, uh, of TNT. Okay. There, you know, there was, uh, there's been, you know, it's a long history. So there's, there is quite a few memories, but I think highlights for me was, was, uh, you know, when the wide world of sports was televised, the TNT yes. car race, 1966 yeah, right. with, uh, with Rune Arledge and uh, as the uh, uh, director, famous Rune Arledge, and then yep. Jim McKay, the Jim famous McKay. broadcaster, who did yep. a lot of Olympics over the years, and uh, it, you know that that is continues to go on. We've got all the tapes from it and that kind of thing. It, yep. It's very and, cool. It's cool to say just, that just we to, have... just interrupt for one second. So as Terry tells you this story about the wide world of sports, think about this. You know, now we got all these channels, but Quincy was live. I think it was 1966, Terry? Yes, 1966. 1966, Quincy was live <laughs> on ABC, Wide World of Sports, the IKF Sprint Grand Nationals. Go ahead, Terry. But I want, I want you listeners to understand that day, the sports world converged on Quincy, Illinois, and people sat in their living rooms watching television on the main network and watching a live go-kart race in 1966. Yeah, and unfortunately, we had a you know we got rain, and the race director at the time made a made a bad decision, and he canceled the race right away. We got in one heat in each class, and they determined that was the national champion. But you know, being in uh, the Midwest like you are, me, you know, it rains and then it goes away and it dries up, and you race again. You know, right, if we'd have waited right. two, if we'd have waited two hours, we'd have been able to to run again. But <clears throat> ABC came in with a bunch of cameras. They rented a real high lift uh, thing to get a camera up high. They, they dug holes, several holes in the ground, like uh, where a camera could be down to ground level as you see the carts going by. So they, they loved that shot. And uh, of course they had one in the tower. So they probably had five cameras at the time, which, you know, that's big time stuff. And that in that era to have five cameras and, and go at it. Oh, but definitely. I yeah. think I, I can't actually made the contract. Uh, I, I asked Gus. He said he thought he had the contract somewhere, but he but he could never find it because I wanted to see it, uh, keep it for. He he thinks he got like a thousand dollars from ABC to wow. hold the race. Yeah, and but IKF actually set the deal up. Okay, it uh-huh. went through them. We he Gus had really nothing to do with going out and getting ABC. Right. But um, but uh, it was a neat, <clears throat> it was neat for us to say that. And so and then I think. Uh, when we had the, uh, you know, the, the national races there and it was one year before your dad broke off and, and started the world karting association. Yeah. Uh, we had, 
at a record that held for, I don't know how many years, yeah. 25, 30 years. So we had 635 entries. And that, you know, because we had East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, right. North, right. South, whatever, everybody was there. So if you, you know, that's one of the big thing I talked to some of these uh, old Carters. If you would win at Quincy, and it became known as Quincy, not TNT, because they go, you know, it's at Quincy. That's where the race is at. You right, know? So, exactly, exactly. Uh, and uh, so if you won there, you had all the best drivers there and it was a neat thing to win it. So, uh, you know, very competitive. I had, uh, you know, we had people from California that had a lot of money and they would come in a month ahead of time. This one fellow had, uh, <clears throat> you might've known the Sawyer family. I know you of, remember yeah. them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Scott, that, Scott they Sawyer, like, I think, yeah. Scott Sawyer. They owned like yeah. 85,000 acres in uh, California. They were farmers. And, uh, Mr. Salyer, who was a fantastic guy, sent back Scott with, uh, two other guys and they ran every day. And in Quincy, as you know, also we had the, the heat and humidity and, and the air density changes all the time. And you're running these McCulloughs with, uh, alcohol carburetors and, and nitro in them and things like that. So they tested every day, had a book, they wrote down all the air density, all the, the temperatures you know, and all the lifetimes. And when they came to the race, they won because they were yeah. totally prepared, you, right. you know? Right. And uh, so uh, it was, uh, that was kind of neat. And then uh, for me, the, uh, the 1976 race, uh, the pro race, the pro uh, 5,000, uh, you know, 74 Lake speed. And uh, I'm not sure who else was involved we had our first pro race in Memphis, Tennessee at the national races down there. Uh -huh. And then, and then uh, they started looking for people to take over this thing. And Jim Reed stepped up and uh, started organizing it. And then we had the, uh, the race in 75 that the, uh, that the Chattanooga Choo Choo Lynn Haddock won. Yep. Yep. And then in 76, I won the race. Uh, and Jim Bono came out of nowhere, ended up second, and Kyle Atkins was third. And then the next year, we had the Nationals for three years in a row. Kyle Atkins beat me, worked all year and beat me, and I finished second. But those those were great years there. Sure. And, and so, um, you know, we've had 17 different national championships. We did have uh, one WK national championship there, and then uh, – we had a couple of the KART, an organization that started in uh, Missouri, yes, uh -huh. to uh, to have it. But uh, you know, it's it's funny how the organizations have fell on hard times because WK, you know, started out as the the uh, step organization and ended up being the strongest organization. You know, your dad did a, a marvelous job of of putting it all together. You know, and so. And then ICAP people were fighting all the time. So, and it became known as the California organization and all that. Right, but right. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have one organization that no. we have a, a, a major race and you win that and you feel like you are truly the national champion. We don't right. have that anymore. Exactly. So, no, we don't. You're right. You're right. Well, that, that's a good, that's a good segue into the PKA. We were talking about some of those races and the competition. And for those that, you may hear the, the, the phrase PKA or the term PKA. It was the Professional Karting Association. Uh, Jim Reed, Gus Trader were instrumental in forming it, running it, 
And, and Terry, tell us about some of those races, because that was a case where you literally had the best of the best running for money. And it was basically one class, one motor, basically to the best of their ability and even playing ground. So the best drivers and tuners could show their stuff and, and see who was who was the best of the best. It was uh, it was very a very heady <clears throat> heady deal because okay the plan was let's have a, as few rules as possible and let's have everybody run in one class there's no mixing them up okay so you've got the Haddocks the Speeds the the uh, the Pruitts the the MX uh, going down the line there's you know I don't want to leave out any great drivers because there's a ton of them Rick Gifford and you know, Georgito and all those people, but three, uh, the weight was 315 pounds, 100 CC engine and do, and keep you in the head. They did have a length and a width, uh, measurement and they had a hundred CC measurement, which meant they, they, they measured the bore and stroke and the weight was 315 do whatever you want to do. So there yeah. was uh, people that had water cooled motors that they built. There were people that did ground effects that were, you know, there was just innovation. It was more like the formula one of karting because mm -hmm. you could do whatever you wanted to do. There really was very limited rules on this thing. Okay. And then to win one, they set up the uh, FIA scoring format, which was incredibly hard because you ran your qualifying of, uh, you know, and you know, you and I did this and it's a little different than today where they let the guys go out and run five or six laps and take their best lap and get their tires warmed up and all that. We would, we'd get to go out, take one warm up lap, come down, take the green, come around, take the, the, the white and come around, take the checker. That's it, baby. Two yeah. laps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you screwed up too bad, you start near the back. Okay. So, uh, then you had to run three 15 lap, uh, qualifying heats. And then you had to run three 20 lap, uh, main events. And so you're talking about, you had to run a hundred, 105 laps wow. to win this thing. And, 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 was, and the, you know, was it, was it total points, Terry, on the winner, like the three main events, the total points won the overall. Yes. And okay. what they did, they used a scoring system of, uh, of, uh, zero for first two for second, the mm -hmm. guy with the lowest amount of points, lowest won. Amount of points. Yeah. But they had, they had one little twist in this is why I got to win the 76 race is because they had a twist that was that said if you win two of the main events you're the automatic winner so what happened is is i said fast time i won all three of my qualifying heats and you know, they would also break the the group up into it now we had in like 76 there were 66 drivers 66 guys thought they were the best okay right, and right. they were out there running in one class one set of rules whatever and then you'd break those up into four groups, A, B, C, D. And then the qualifying heats were like A versus B, C versus D. Everybody ran against each other, each other uh, in the qualifying heats. And so your lowest point total then is the way you'd start in the, in the feature. So the first feature I started on the pole and we're going around for the warm-up laps. And Stanley had come up with this innovative deal that he was going to put a a hotter coil on the engine to uh, give it more spark. And th this thing was really fast. And he had built his own coil bracket and the son of a gun coil bracket broke. Oh, no. In the, 
Yeah, in the warm. We had, you know, you check everything oh. out. You look and look, but you don't see it. So I'm hanging on to this coil, and I'm trying to ground it against the, the <laughs> engine. It, it's shocking me. It's yeah, shocking me. I, I would mean, think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and so I'm holding on. Anyway, I ended up, start, you know, started pole, but ended up finishing like 21st or 22nd or something back, you know. Yeah. And I came in and, and I'm really, I'm despondent, but I'm mad. I'm throwing stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm acting like a real baby. You know what I mean? I really <laughs> am. And Stanley says, Stanley says, GD, settle down. You still got a shot. I go, oh, Stanley, I haven't got a shot. There's no way yeah. you could beat, you could come from back where I'm going to have to start and win this yeah. thing. There's no right. way. Right. So, so anyway, we started off there. And, and probably one of the most exciting races of my life is I came from that back there and I, and I won the race. Wow. The, the, the main, it was amazing. It really was to win that wow. thing. And, uh, I, that was probably one of the great feelings I ever had to come. But the good thing was there was 20 laps. And as you know, in, you know usually it's a 10 lap race and it's over with 20 laps is a pretty long race. So it gave me time to work through the crowd. A couple of little things happened. Yep. Kyle, had the lead and he had a little mechanical problem and dropped back to like second or third. And, uh, and, and I was able to, with about that 18th or 19th lap, take past the guy that was in second and end up winning that particular race, which now they, now they take the next, now the next, the last race, they had my first main oh, event. Point, yeah. My second man. So I'm still starting 12. Yeah. In the, in the fight, but I, you know, I already know that I'm 12. I came for 21st. I can do yeah, this thing. So that's right. That's I, right. And I, and I did, and I came back wow. and I won it. And it was a fabulous deal. But you think back in those days, 1976, I won $5,000 for first place. In yeah. 30. Yeah. The, I don't know what that relates to today, but, uh, you know, we could run the math, but it's probably now $15,000, $20,000 check if, if it was the same type of thing. Relative so, to inflation. Yeah, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, but that was, uh, an amazing, uh, amazing time. And, and, uh, you know, I, ironically, that was the first year that I had, uh, had met my, uh, my wife too. Uh, and we had, uh, got together at, uh, actually 74, I got married at 76. So I had a good year, you know, got married yeah, and for sure. won the, won the pro 5,000. Now, Jim, Reed did an amazing job of organizing it. It actually probably cost like your dad. It probably cost a lot of money to put everything together. And Jim ran a first class organization. He ran it like Formula One right on time. Here's your time schedule at two o'clock. You you fire your motor. Okay. And that's the way he ran the program and did a beautiful job. And we went all over. We ran in California. We ran in, you know, in New York and Florida, we ran all over the place. And so he just then he got busy with his business and he ended up right. selling PKA to Gus. So then Gus took it to another level. And then he started running in Las Vegas, uh, the parking lots, of, uh, you know, the, right. the casinos and things like that. So it, you know, it's a great time for karting. It really was. And um, and after uh, '84, the thing died off and it really, you know, never got. Uh, going again by anybody until just recently with uh, Mark Coates starting his United States Pro, uh, Pro Karting Series, and he's right. sort of done a good job with that one. Yeah, he has. It's going. It's going really well. 
Uh, you know, you, you mentioned about Jim Reed and, and using a timeline. He, pro he was ahead of his time, actually, because he was probably the first person that ever used a timeline. So and Cardi, I think probably so. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So when Bill Atkins bought our racetrack, he had a WK national and he wanted to bring the PKA in. So Jim said, and you might, you might've been in that race, Terry, but it was, it would have been uh, probably early eighties. And so I know Ron Emick was there. Kyle was racing. Of course, I want to say uh, Pruitt was there, but there was a, there was a good group of drivers there and I was the announcer. So we did all the preliminary heats and he gets times for the, for the first uh, main event. And he has this timeline and the main event's supposed to start. It was, uh, it was Saturday night under the lights. It was supposed to start at like eight o'clock. It's like, I swear to you, it's like seven 58. And I look down and the grid man's waving at me like, Hey, what's the holdup? We're ready to go. I said, let him go. So at seven 58, they hit the track. I hear footsteps coming up in the tower and it's Jim Reed and he is hot. And he looks at me and he says, what are you doing to me? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, read, read the schedule. It says eight o'clock. It's seven 58. Why are you sending them out two minutes ahead of time? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> because I, I thought I could, <laughs> I never did that again. I'll tell you, <laughs> but, well, but that, that, was Jim, that, that was Jim. That was Jimmy. Well, he, uh, he, he ran a good show. Well, and, and he, you know, you've, you've invited him out to the Quincy Grand Prix every year. So the first time I came out to, uh, for the first Grand Prix, I saw him, I said, I got to tell you the story. And we, we laughed so hard. I said, man, you were ahead of your time because that is honestly, that is how good events are run today. You stay on schedule. Nobody can complain because they were late to the grid because there's a schedule and you stay on to the best of your ability and you know what you got. So, but I, I remember that. Uh, so speaking of the Quincy Grand Prix, uh, you were kind enough to reach out to me, gosh, Terry, what, about four years ago, I guess, about coming to announce the Quincy Grand Prix. And I said, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like fun, but I'd never been to one. So I fly, fly into St. Louis, I drive into Quincy. The first thing I see is I thought I went back in time because, you know, back in the day when you would go in, Quincy, reminds it reminds me of where I saw it the most, but you would go into a town where the Grand Nationals were and there would be a banner across the, the main intersection saying, welcome Carters or Grand Nationals, something signifying that, hey, you know what's going on this week? We got a go-kart race. And sure enough, when I came in for the Quincy Grand Prix, there were signs everywhere. Welcome to Quincy, welcome race fans. It's the Quincy Grand Prix. So I head out to South Park and I just, I couldn't believe my eyes that we're gonna, we're gonna race through this, this setting. And, um, I can tell you it was an experience in all my years of karting I'd never had before, but I loved it. You were gracious enough to continue to invite me back. Tell us about the Quincy Grand Prix, not only how it started and, and, and how it developed, but the part that it, it stopped. And then you had a vision and a dream, so to speak, that doggone it, you could bring this thing back. And you did. And you know, this crazy virus kind of messed over everybody this year, but next year we're going to bring that thing back again. Tell us about your memories of the Quincy Grand Prix and how much it meant to you bringing it back and, and bringing it to life again. Okay, Randy. Uh, of course, uh, a little history on back history. 1970 was the first race, and they had this festival in Quincy, Illinois. They called it the Dogwood Grand Prix, or excuse me, the Dogwood Festival. And so the Chamber of Commerce came to Gus and said, hey, we need to have a 
some activities here for this for this festival this our first year would you mind be interested in putting on a, a karting race and so gus thought about it and uh, a local radio uh guy that owned a radio station his name was mel elzia and gus and mel was a real promoter and uh they started looking around quincy for a place to hold the race and they ended up at south park and so uh at that time i'm in college and uh stan long is of course working at tnt and uh he's still involved with the carding thing and so they said stan to grab a cart we're gonna we're gonna drive around this track and see what you think of it. So Stanley takes a cart around. Now the way we run the race is just opposite that the normal traffic flows on that park, and it's a one way road. So Stanley went the opposite way that that the race runs today, and he went around the track. And there's a very long, gradual pull hill that you pull up, as you know, you know that you got to go all. If you go the backwards way, it's a really long uphill. Right. Right. Uh, deal. And so Stanley says, you know, Gus, let's turn it around. Let's go the other way and see what happens. And that's what happened. And now yeah. we've got the famous jump and you yeah. got the, you know, all that. And so we got to give credit to Stanley for saying, Hey, this was the best way to go. This is the best, yeah. best way to run this track. Right. So first right. in the track, the, the track itself is pretty darn rough. They had 90 entries the first year. And I think maybe uh, if you were lucky enough to finish, uh, you'd probably win the thing. Okay, so uh, they 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 but they had a success, and Gus liked doing it, so he just kept expanding and expanding it. And uh, for the for the 25th anniversary, and uh, I don't know how he did this either. Uh, 1995, he raised twenty five thousand dollars for the purse, not not for expenses just to give to the drivers yep. and he had over 600 entries at this event. Wow. And uh big, big deal. And uh, you know, then the, the 30th, uh, he brought that back to uh, the 30th. He raised $40,000 in 1990. And um, uh, I mean, in 2000, not in 2000. And uh but the race is starting to sort of deteriorate. People were sorting, were starting to lose interest. Street racing was not something that people were liking to do as much anymore. Uh, the track was getting super rough. Uh, we had, uh, it had been paved during that 30 year, uh, section. Fortunately for us, uh, a, a fellow by the name of Dr. Fred Corey became president of the Quincy park board and, and just, Funny thing, South Park got repaved, isn't it? Isn't that funny? Because him and his family loved guarding and racing. Pure coincidence. The boys racing. Yeah, pure coincidence. Yeah. I'm sure. yeah, pure coincidence. And so the track got repaved. And so we had a lot of good years of, of a smooth track, but then it just kept getting worse and worse. And of course, you got big trucks on, they're plowing snow. And, you know, so in 2001, I uh, had the race and we needed, Gus needed about, 175 entries to break even and uh, i think we had about 150 and of that 150 there were probably you know maybe 50 drivers because everybody would enter two or three classes you right. know so it just had lost its its pizzazz and people had had <clears throat> were, were sort of done with it so i said i told i said they had to really all think about 
not doing it. I said, it's a lot of work for you. And I said, I don't think your people are wanting to come anymore. So he decided to let it go. So 2001 was the last race he did. And so uh, then he went to promoting golf tournaments and he had to promote something. He was always promoting something. You, vintage he, was, kart racing. he was a promoter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> vintage cart racing, golf tournaments, whatever. He had to promote something. And so uh, how it came back that over the years, you know, wherever I would go to, a, like go to a grocery store or a bar or restaurant, they go, hey, when are you going to bring that Grand Prix back? I yeah. remember I, I, when I was a kid, I got to go out there and watch that with my folks. And we had a picnic out there. It's really great. I said, I don't know, man. I said, I, you know, first of all, I said, the track is super rough. And, uh, and I said, the insurance is going to be hard to get. And I just don't think it'll happen. And there was a, a group that used to race carts at Quincy, they tried to bring it back, had meetings for it. I said, go ahead, guys. I, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. You can't get insurance. So that all fell apart. So um, in 2017, the park district director, they, they ended up paving half of the Grand Prix track and then South Park. And the, and then with plans that they were going to build it for, uh, excuse me, in 16, they did Half of it repaved it in 17. They did the other half. <clears throat> the park district director came to me, Rome, Rome Frerichs, great guy, and said, hey, Terry, would you be interested in put, bringing the race back? I've had a lot of people talk about that. He's a young guy. He, I don't know if he even remember it. So I said, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's that's so much work. I, I don't know. So I, I did some soul searching, thought about it, and I thought, you know, it'd be a great thing for Quincy. You know, it's a, the, the magic of it. It's all free to the public, and uh, it's the most beautiful park in the world. And as you know, probably the greatest karting track that you could ever run on. Uh, the, the up and downhill, the 100-foot the elevation changes, and, and uh, the trees and the beauty of the place. It's unbelievable. 1.2 miles around it. And so I said, all right, we'll do it. And then... Uh, I got the media involved and we started promoting it. And then Quincy is just a wonderful place for businesses to help out and, and, and support something. And so with me being in business so many years in Quincy, I was able to go to them and ask for sponsorships. And uh, it, you know, it, it cost me about a hundred thousand dollars to, to put the event on. So I had to raise a lot of money It not all came from sponsors, but a lot of it did. And then the, you know, we didn't know if we'd get 50 entries or, you know, 200 entries. And my goal was 200 and we ended up getting the first year, uh, 310 entries. So yeah. it was mm -hmm. really successful. And, uh, again, uh, I had such great help with a couple of, uh, a fellow by the name of Jeff miles, JT miles with the, with setting up the safety. My, now my dad was a little bit sketchy on the safety section, although he never got anybody, uh, hurt really, really bad. But, um, <clears throat> I was all about, okay, let's make it, you know, the, the reputation that it grew when Gus was running it, that it was unsafe. So I, my goal was to make it a super safe, safe race. Right. So I rented right. a, as you know, a bunch of barriers. You've been there, yes. you've run around and you've seen it. And, yep. uh, I, I made sure that this dude was as safe as I possibly can, could make it. I mean, I always told my guys, okay, Think about what's the worst thing that can happen and let's try to prevent it, you know? Exactly. And so, so they did a beautiful job of setting up the barriers and hay bales and, 
we fence the thing inside now to protect uh, to keep people from running across the track and uh, it absolutely blew me away the success of the event was amazing i guess it was the right time you know but i brought in the right people you uh did a great job with announcing rick folks did a great job with the race directing and then i had a a, a great tech crew and uh you know we had the electronic scoring so we did really have a a a very good group of people to put this on i'd say one of the best organizations that we could put together uh ekn uh the e-carding news guys got on board and uh really promoted it and so uh it was super successful and then the next year uh was better and uh you know we got the business people involved i let them run on the park with uh, our rental carts and and that created more interest and uh we, we put up a tent called gus's tent which is uh like a vip tent type thing and people could could pay pay money for that because we'd give them free food and and uh the one of the greatest spots on the track to watch at the start finish right, line and, exactly, and, yeah. and all those kind of things so yep. but as you know from being there the atmosphere is a, a formula one atmosphere oh. we've got flags Flags yeah. flying and you know tents up and all that kind of stuff. So, and we're going to continue to expand that. And you know, this year, you know, I've kept you in the loop on everything, but we were going to pay a purse and try to try right. to uh, right. get even more people involved. And, and of course, we uh, canceled it from the June date. Tried to make it. It would have been last weekend, by the way. And uh, in COVID, in our area is still gaining gaining and there's more cases and i just said you know what about two months prior to october i said we got to cancel it if we i can't take a chance to to make oh. the city look bad to make right. the park district look bad to make the grand prix look bad let's just wait till 2021 and we're yeah. hoping this thing is is finally can we can get a handle on it and, yeah. and make it go but uh of course i'm telling you this today randy kugler will be announcing here folks and uh you know maybe we'll do a racing racing with rk right from the grand prix track oh i, or I think like that's that. a heck of an idea yeah that'd be cool yeah definitely and so and so you know the other thing we've done that uh is different uh we did i, I i'm on the board of a uh, small liberal arts college in canton missouri about 20 miles from here and we did live streaming uh yes. for 18 and 19 and that helped the students learn about doing that right and you right. were on the live streaming we got yeah. with the first year we didn't have audio so it was a bunch of cars just running around. It didn't look that good. But the next year we got the auto involved and uh, audio involved. And then we had you and another announcer uh, working the track both ways. And so we're going to keep yeah. improving on that. And I did have people watching from Arizona and, and yeah. out east they, that I know called and said, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, so uh, trying to make the Grand Prix a really, really big deal. And uh, so I think we're, we're getting there. Rob Howden says, it's one of the top five races in the country right yeah. now. So I, I'm hoping to make that even better. Well, and I, and I think it's important when you gauge the success of a karting event, it's not always about how many entries you had, but what impact did it have on the community? And when you take a temporary circuit like South Park and you can bring the community and folks, I'm here to tell you, it is nonstop. They, between races, they open the gates in the morning between practice sessions and people with coolers and tents and, and lawn chairs just pour in. And when the when it's time for the races to start, you see, I mean, there's 
places uh, alongside the track on the hills where it's just solid people. And uh, Bob Goff, uh, the local announcer there, has helped me the last couple of years at, at the event. And uh, last year we put Bob down below where the fans were. And he was talking to fans and they were having a good old time. I mean, that's the atmosphere. And yeah, when, when the dust settles, you win the Quincy Grand Prix, you really won a big race. But it's, I think it's just the fact that it's not just a kart race, Terry, but you've created a, an event and, and the area gets behind it so well. Oh my gosh, you go in the grocery store to pick up something. Everybody's wearing the Quincy Grand Prix t-shirts. Uh, they're going, you know, you talk to them, oh yeah, we'll be out there tomorrow. It's a tradition. And actually, Terry, I want to tell you, somebody told me that the very first year, I said, I can't believe, you know, you guys are all wearing the, the Quincy Grand Prix t-shirts. And this kid was a teenager. And he said, uh, I shouldn't say he's a teenager, it had to be early 20s, I guess. But he said, oh yeah, he said, we're going out. It's my family's tradition. We go to the Quincy Grand Prix. Now that was the first year. So that tradition carried all those years that the race was dormant that tradition was still alive and well. And when they heard the Quincy Grand Prix was coming back, they were on board and they were coming back to watch it. So that's a, it's, it's just awesome that you, that you brought it back because I think it's, it helps the community and it's, it's a feather in the cap of carding too. So it's good stuff. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. All those kind words. And it is a, a, a amazing event. If people would ever come to it, they would be like, wow, this is something else. I mean, it is the largest attended Carding event by spectators in the nation. I know it is because we'll yep. have fifteen thousand people out there watching carding. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't get you don't get that anywhere. Now the beauty of it is it's all free to the citizens and right. of the communities around. Right. And Quincy, that's a beauty. Secondly, in, the Grand Prix is a is a nonprofit corporation, and we have donated twenty five thousand dollars to different causes oh, around awesome. Quincy in the last yeah. two years. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And then the one thing I do have to mention is that I said, what can we do that will create something that's uh, to win something here that you really want to keep? And I, that's when I developed this trophy called the Gussie after yeah. my dad yeah. had a specially design. And it's, <clears throat> it's one of the most rare trophies in sports. There's only been 22 uh, given out. I had uh, 19. You have to, the only way to get one is to, is to win a race at the Grand Prix or for me to give you one as an honorary one. And we've had mm-hmm. three honoraries now with uh, Scott Pruitt and Scott Evans, who's tied for most wins at 27 with me. And then I've got an honorary. And uh, and we'll get into this a little later, but I gave one to Jeff Miles for everything he's done for Carding and Quincy and for the work he did for my dad mm-hmm. and for the Grand Prix and for our TNT Cartways track. He got he got Gussie 23 the other day. So That's awesome. it was pretty it was pretty That's neat. Awesome. So yeah. uh, we're we're looking, and you know, the Grand Prix is so dang much work. It's unbelievable for me. You know, once I get going in, and once it's out there, and, and I've got it all set, then you guys take over and do a super super job of putting it together. You and Rick and and the other guys that are there, and then I can sit and kind of watch it while you guys do all the work. And it's it's a it's a lot of fun. It really is. Oh, it's it's a it's a true team effort for sure. So uh, this is the part of the show I get to called the Hall of Fame Spotlight. And I've got three members of the Hall of Fame and I'd like you to share a couple of memories with. And the first one obviously is awful close to you. Uh, your dad, Gus Trader, he is in the Carding Hall of Fame. Just when I say Gus Trader to you, aside from the fact he was your dad, Terry, when it comes to carding, what comes to mind? I, I What comes to mind is, you know, the greatest promoter in carding history. Uh, there's nobody that I can think of that's done more as far as 
having big events. He was always wanting to do the big events and having people come and recognize this as that and uh, always coming up with ideas and different things uh, to do. And, and, you know, he took the street racing circuit and he went to all the small communities around Quincy. He had the, he raced in the parking lot of uh, the, the hotel in Las Vegas, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's just done all the national races. He was always trying to get the big races to be there. And so, you know, and when he did it, he did it with class. He always wanted to make sure that people were happy. They, they weren't, as you know, in carding, they aren't always, always happy. And they, not everybody was, but, but we had, uh, he wanted to make sure that the, they had a good time that, uh, he got the city involved and, uh, you know, when you came to Quincy, you were special. Like you were talking about the sign above the street. When you came to Quincy, the newspapers ran stories in the front page. The the, the television stations were interviewing people. And it was a big deal to come and race in Quincy. I mean, you go to some of the bigger cities, you're not getting that recognition. And uh, the fact that he had got this land five minutes from Quincy, close to the hotels, bars, and restaurants, was so convenient for the, for the families. Uh, so they didn't want to spend the whole day at the track. Uh, they could go shopping. The women could go shopping and the kids can go get in the pools. And, uh, you know, he, he really uh, thought about all those kind of details, you know, and he was a guy that kept a book on all the expenses. I mean, he didn't use computers, but he had he had a book and he always kept all his expenses. He knew exactly where he stood. And uh, again, like your dad, he knew how to make money. So uh, he he. He did that. I mean, he did a lot of stuff like he used to have teen dances. And when the races would end, he'd have a teen dance there yeah. for people. Uh, <laughs> and a couple, I don't know if your dad, your dad was probably invited, but a couple of these national events, he rented a riverboat uh, to, and he took uh, all the officials out on a riverboat cruise in the Mississippi River. And they had a band, they danced on the riverboat, and he had a, uh, he, he set up blackjack tables for people to play cards. And uh, wow. it was, it was Quite, quite the deal, but I bet yeah. your dad was on one of those boats. I bet oh, he was. no doubt, no doubt. And, and what I what I would say about Gus, if I could summarize my memory of Gus as a promoter is when he was in charge of a karting event, he wasn't satisfied with it just being a karting event. He set out to make it special. It was going to be more than just a karting event. There was going to be some bells and whistles that people could leave not just of a memory of what happened on the racetrack, but a memory of the event. And he was really, really good at that. And I think Cardi needs more of that today to tell you the truth. We kind of get caught up in how many entries did they have? How big was it? Well, okay, there were 600 entries, great. But the non-carters that were there, there were 17 spectators or whatever. And I don't know what the number, I mean, there's probably more than that. But I think there needs to be more and more of that, geez, let people know in the area what's going on because this is pretty cool stuff. And and Gus was Gus was great at that. Uh, how about uh, well, Gary Go ahead. He was, uh, Gus, Gus, one other thing, Gus was good at using the media. He always told the media who the winners were, yep. gave them stories. You know, the media likes to get, be fed different, yep. you know, they like right. to be fed this stuff. They can't yep. just go out and get it all. So he was great at that. So we always had that. Um, mm -hmm. And you mentioned Gary Emick. Gary Emick was, was one of the fine gentlemen of the sport and like Stanley, a master technician. I mean, in fact, Stanley and Gary were good buddies because they, they thought a lot alike, and they they understood how how were those ports flew flowed inside the motor. I don't know how they did that, but they they understood how that worked and why it worked and that kind of thing. And uh, Gary was just 
such a nice guy. And you'd watch him drive these twin engine carts out there. And I don't know if you did, but I would watch him and it looked like he wasn't going anywhere, but then he'd set fast time. I'm right. going like, how's he doing that? You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, and he was never satisfied with, with, uh, you know, he started running for different cart manufacturers and they decided, you know, I don't like any of them. I'm going to build my own cart. And he built the Emic, uh, Emic Enterprises chassis and became super famous with them and, and sold a lot of them and was very successful. Of course, again, he had a great wife with him, too, with Linda, his wife. And, you know, Linda and Gary both were, you know, Linda probably was one of the top one or two best lady drivers in history. Uh, her, Kathy sure. Har- yeah. her, Kathy Hartman. And, yeah. uh, and and Gary was one of the great uh, you know twin engine drivers of all time, and he he was always in the hunt because he was so well prepared, and he really he really understood to make how to make it that way. And uh, of course, then he got his son Ronnie driving, and Ronnie was a, a super driver, and and he was always competitive. If you could beat the uh people with uh, you know we had Vince Paleo and, and Ronnie Emig as their team. And, uh, that was pretty tough to beat. Those were tough competitors, but, uh, a fine guy. And it's such a shame that he died the way he did. I think it was in Daytona. He had a heart attack and mm-hmm. passed away as a yeah. pretty young man, pretty young was, man. I don't know how, it was. how old he was, but, uh, yeah, it, it, very unexpected. It was a shame. And, uh, I had Lynn Haddock on a few weeks ago and he, he talked about Gary a little bit too. And he said the same thing. He was just an innovator. He, he thought of things that people would have never dreamed of. And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons he was successful for sure. Well, you, you asked me to add uh, this next gentleman on here, which I did because there's, to be honest, Terry, there's not a tremendous amount of people that knew my dad very well. That's, that's still involved in carding anymore for various reasons, but you'd asked me to add George Cougar on here in the hall of fame spotlight to talk about him a little bit. So I'll, I'll kind of give you the floor, but share a couple of memories you have of my dad. Well, your dad was a, uh, you know, if you want to rank people that were important to karting, your dad's in the top five of all time, because uh, what he did with this, uh, with the World Karting Association was phenomenal and uh, created uh, such uh, an organization. And he was such an organizer to put it all together. It was, you know, it was amazing. I don't know how he ran his business, trucking business, and still, and did this business, because you know, he expanded the, the dirt thing you, that he created with WK was phenomenal. The Daytona deal is still going that he started. Uh, and I think why your dad was able to do that, people liked your dad. They knew he was for real. And he said what he, he whatever he said he would do. And uh, I think that's why all these major track owners liked him, like the Humpy Wheelers of the world and the, and the France family down in Daytona. They knew George would bring in a good show and, and do it, do a fantastic job with it. And uh, I remember when uh, I got one picture in my uh, Hall of Fame uh, pictures up in Gus's office at the track. It's a picture of your dad and John Strouser. John Strouser was president of IKF. And yes, Gus uh-huh. Byrne, my, my mother, uh, of that because... You know, the talk was always, let's get the organizations back together. Let's have one organization. It never happened. Uh, wish it would have, but for some reason we couldn't get it put together. But I would have been in very much in favor. I think it was the problem was our the IKF board more than it was your dad. Because, uh, you know, George needed to be the guy to run it. And 
and but IKF couldn't let their ego, you know, let that yeah. happen. And so, uh, you know, I, you know, we appreciate him uh, giving a, a national race to TNT because that was about as far west as you all ever came was, oh, was yeah. uh, our our track, right. and you kind of stretched it, stretched it out for us, and appreciate that. And uh, I know that George was the one that nominated my dad to go into the Hall of Fame, which I so appreciate that. And uh, when we went out and had the ceremony. And I, you know, I don't remember. I think it was in North Carolina. I don't, I'm not sure. It was, a, it was a big deal, but I don't remember where we went to the dinner and all. It was a very, very nice affair. And uh, you know, your dad was just a class act, man. And it was, uh, it was, it was uh, one of the one. Like I said, I you start with Duffy Livingston and Art Engels that started carding, and then you have to go down to. I don't know. Your dad may be third up there. You know, he did just such an incredible job yeah. to to keep the sport going and to grow it. He grew yeah. the sport, and that's yeah. the that's the key thing. And unfortunately, like I said, the organizations have fell apart. I think your dad got out, and then you tried to keep it rolling, and you did a good job for a number of years, and then it just it was hard to do. It really was. And, and it's it's the nature of the beast, so to speak, Terry. The, the organizations, through no one's fault, were set up for the right reasons. It was set up as a membership organization. And I could talk for hours about this. I'm not going to, but I will tell you this. It's a it's an ongoing, ever-changing board of directors or trustees, whether it's IKF or WK. And with new people come new ideas. And their ideas might be better. They might be worse. But it's hard. The more you have new people coming in with new ideas, it's hard to develop a momentum or, or gain traction, so to speak, on a certain direction. And over time, I think it, it really deteriorates the organization. And I know when I stepped out, it was it was because me being there, it wasn't helping the organization anymore. It was it was only causing some some uh, friction. So uh, that's that's the problem. And now you've got two of the most successful series now, USPKS and SCUSA, that are run by one guy. And the buck stops with him. It's kind of like the George Kugler mentality. The buck stops with Mark Coates and uh, Tom Kuchar. And if if they, you know, they say, here's how it is, you know, at the end of the day, that's how it is. And that's probably one of the reasons why they're so successful. So, well, listen, we, we can't we can't end this podcast without talking about what happened this past weekend, Terry. And And, you know, if you... It's almost like you step back into a time machine, flipped a switch, and said, "Hey, it's Quincy again, right?" So tell us That's about what happened. Yeah. T- tell us about what happened in Quincy this weekend. Quincy, Missouri, I guess. West Quincy, Missouri, right? It's a, yeah, West Quincy, Missouri is what we're, we're That's what it what it's known as. And so, um, yeah, we decided. Uh, you know, we had the I had this family that started helping Gus. Uh, about 2012 and Jeff Miles and his wife, Dickie, they started, they have a, they had a son that was involved in karting uh, and, and they got grand boys involved in karting and they really loved sport and they would come over and they'd help Gus and they'd cut the grass and, and they'd run the races. And, you know, they, uh, they, when they started, uh, I guess it was 13, they started, there was like, we'd have about 15 or 20 entries per race. And then, uh, then now we're we've grown to 50 or 60 per race which you know one of the main reasons is is because really you know we i think we brought the grand prix back that helped a lot to spur local interest the margag night cart and classes has really helped a lot because people can buy a cart and go out and be competitive and have fun and then when you have that happen then you have you have uh 
more entries, then you can improve the track. And so, you know, the big complaint in Quincy was that the track was rough. So we decided, uh, okay, let's repave all the rough parts. We repaved about two thirds of the track, uh, sealed and filled any kind of cracks in the other parts of the track that weren't that rough. And, and uh, everybody is raving about how smooth it is. We, we bought this special polymer that goes into the asphalt. So it holds it together and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and it's fabulous. And uh, we had a grand opening and we recognized people like my mother who, who uh, you know, was a big part of it and basically helped pay for it. When they built the original track, total cost $40,000, okay? <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, yeah, like I said, Gus is 35, Furnace is 29. And the contractors that built it wanted to see this built. They got no down payment and they said, pay us when you can. Can you imagine wow. that? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And so my mother ran, they bought 12 rental cars. My mother ran rental cars at 50 cents for five minutes. And in two years, she paid for the whole thing. She had four 12 or 13 year old boys who would help her. And, and uh, she worked at, from 10 a.m. to 10 at night. And then she, at the same time, she, she had a one-year-old daughter. So that was really tough. But uh, the, uh, the, so we're bringing it back. You know, there's been really nothing major happening at our track since 2003 and uh, with the help of the Miles family. And then I, of course, I'm the guy that's on the line financially to put this and we put about a hundred grand into the thing. Uh, it does look fabulous and wow. we're trying to get different, bigger events, any big event we can, we're having it as well as we'll have a real good schedule for, for our local guys. And hopefully that'll grow. And maybe we'll bring in some people from outside our, our sphere here to run on the local basis too. But uh, it was a neat ceremony, Randy, you'd have loved it. Uh, we had the mayor there. We had uh, we had a pastor who gave us a prayer for the next 50 years for the track. And, uh, you know, we, we recognized all the people that were there, Stan and Marilyn Long, Reggie Folks and Barb Folks. You know oh, Reggie, I think. Yeah, that's great. Another Hall of Famer. Re Reggie was one of the five class winners that day in 1961 he's 95 years old uh we couldn't get him in a cart but what we did was i took like in 1961 i took the first lap around the track and then stanley and reggie took a, a golf car around the track wow and then we had yeah yeah then i had oh. of course i gotta give kudos to keith freeber and don freeber because you know they've been such a key part of of sure. our life and yeah. carting and they've helped us a lot. I ran Margate carts all the time. And, uh, and, the, and with Keith inventing the Margate Ignite series, it was, you know, I really think it's helped save carting in our area. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, in a lot of areas it has. Yeah. And they, uh, and then I let Keith take the fourth lap around the track. And then I had the Christian miles, one of the top junior drivers in the country represent the miles family. And he took the fifth lap and then we opened it up. It was a free practice for all the local people. I bet we, I don't know. We had, I don't know how many, entries. I don't, I didn't have any entries cause I didn't charge him anything, you know? So yeah. they, they just practiced all day and they've given us rave reviews and uh, it's super exciting. And that's what we uh, need to do is spread the word of how great absolutely. it is. Now. And, uh, yeah. That's great. I think you'd even like to, you'd even like to take a lap around this thing. Yeah. You, you know, I would be, what beat you up so bad? So we'll get you, we'll get you around here when you come back to the grand <laughs> All right. <Grand> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. 
Well, Terry, this has been pretty cool. I'll tell you, I, I always end these podcasts with this question and I'm going to lay it out there for you. And I know it's, it's hard to answer, but I know you, you're going to come through for me because it, it really does mean a lot. I think when you think of carding, you think of family. And, and I just want to hear from you what carding has meant to you and your family over the years. Well, what Carding has done for me as my dad and I, like your dad and you, this it created a great relationship for us. It gave us something like a common goal, someplace we go together and created memories like what Carding really does for a lot of families, you know. And, uh, we, you know, we had so many fun times and you have your ups and you have your downs, but you're together and you're, you know, spending time together. And then, you know, it taught me and Cardi has taught me how to win. It's taught me how to lose. You know, you got to lose gracefully and, you know, everybody loves you when you're a winner, you know? And right. <laughs> uh, so when you're, when you're losing, you know, you bite your lip and what you got to do is you got to say, you know, great job, you know, sportsmanship, great drive, man. I'll, but I'll see you next time around, you know, exactly. and, and in, life, exactly. in life, that's the way it is, whether it's business or whatever you're in, you know, you don't win every time. So, so you've got to learn that that you if you learn how to lose and then when you win, you learn how to win and be uh, a good winner and not a, a cocky winner or whatever like that. Be gracious. Uh, that's really what carding has taught me a lot of it. It's also taught me, you know, when you have your down down period in life on things, you know, oh, yeah, I remember that disappointment that I had on the track where I should have won the national championship, but my injury broke down. You learn those disappointments that it happens. You got to come back. You got to get off, get off the ground, come on back, give it heck again. And and that's really what carding has done for me. Yeah, I, I had uh, I had a young man on a couple of weeks ago, Jason Petty, fine young man out of North Carolina, was one of our top uh, speedway racers, and he's in law enforcement now. He heads up a SWAT team where he lives, along with being a uh, an officer. And uh, I asked him that question. And he said something to me, and, and it goes along with what you're saying about life's lessons. He said, Carding taught me how to handle pressure. He says, you got to understand, I go into situations right now, and you talk about pressure. He says, I don't know what's on the other side of the door or around the corner or when they roll the window down when I walk up to a car. He said, Carding taught me how to handle pressure because he said, I'm out there and I've got somebody beating on my rear bumper for, with two laps to go, and I know he's going to do everything he can to get around me. I got to handle that pressure. So I think there's a lot of things when it comes to carding, and, and you said it best when you talk about, you know, winning, winning with a little respect, and when you lose, hold your head high and learn from it. That's, that's I think a lot of what carding can teach you, and and developing, a, you know, fellowship, and 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 also learning, uh, learning more about how to get along with each other. It's there's just a lot of positives, but uh, yeah, uh, Terry, it's uh, this is this has been good. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on here with me today. It's it's been it's been pretty awesome. Well, Randy, I appreciate what you do uh, with this podcast, and you know it's something that people can listen to different people that are in in carding and been in carding for a long time and learn from it and say that you know this is an amazing sport and uh, we you know you and I when we win races and what other people do. You get you really have the same feeling as the guy that won the ME five hundred or oh, yeah. the Formula yeah. One race. Because Absolutely. you know, you take that checker flag and you won, you beat that group. I mean, those are the those are the great things and we can do it at a 
you know, not everybody can run in that the NASCAR level or the Formula One Formula One level, but everybody could run in karting. You know, at some point you can do it. You know, so I think it, it's a great sport and it really really helps. Uh, I think families and uh, it's it's super exciting to be involved with it. I'm so glad that I got introduced to it at a at a young age. And uh, who would have thought that I'd still be in this this crazy thing for this many years? <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I know. That's that's pretty cool. I think I think it's be, I think it's became an even more important part of my life than than what it was when I was young. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Terry. Listen, folks, this wraps up another episode of Racing with RK. I uh, do want to thank everybody for listening. We've had a lot of listeners up to this point. I think you're going to enjoy this one as well. Let's say a prayer for the first responders, the firefighters, law enforcement, hospital workers, and our military. They need your support more now than ever. Uh, Next week's guests will be Scott Smith and Scott Benton from the Buckeye Karting Challenge as we wrap up their 2020 racing season and talk about their upcoming season ending awards banquet. And remember, racers don't last forever, but racing memories do. This is Randy Kugler with Racing with RK. Thanks to our special guest, Terry Trader. Take care, everybody, and be safe.